Welcome to Founded Fetch Day. I'm Joe Parrott, founder of the Ladies Working Dog Group, and I'm pleased you're joining us. We're all about diving into the fascinating world of gun dogs. Whether you're a beginner or have years of experience, there's something here for you. So get comfy and let's get this conversation started. Hello, and welcome to another episode. I'm sure you're all happy to know that we're back weekly, and this week, joining me are the amazing LWDG expert Claire Denya and the amazing LWDG Regional Coordinator, Sue Lister. This week, we're going to be talking all about sharing the lead. When you borrow your husband or partner's dog, or worse still, they borrow yours. So, ladies, how are you both today? I'm very well, thank you, Jo. Great, thanks, Jo. So, what inspired this podcast was uh, Claire telling us a little bit about a situation where she's now borrowing John's dog. Um, and that got Sue telling us all about the time when her husband stole her dog. Um, so, we're going to chat a little bit about these stories to sort of kick us off. So, Claire, you go first. How have you ended up with John's dog? Yes. So, <laughs> so basically what's happened is um, my youngest Labrador, Rose, she's four years old now, um, but she's the youngest of our three Labradors and, and she's currently in season and planning to breed from her, um, which is a, a, a big, a big deal. Um, but my other girl, she's 11 years old now, Indy, and um, she's quite deaf now. So at distance, she can't always hear well she can't always hear the voice um she can still hear the whistle as long as the wind's helping her um and she also has dementia so she gets a little bit confused so I just love training my dogs I love getting out there and doing things with them and so it, I'm finding it quite a struggle to satisfy my need for dog training I know that I see my clients dogs like every day but they're not I'm training the owner I'm not training the dog so I was like really missing like oh, training a dog for myself. So I basically stole dude, John's dog, who he's he'll be 10 in November. So he's currently when we're talking, he's like he's over nine and a half. He's coming off 10 and um, he hasn't done a formal training day. Um, you know, he hasn't done formal training probably for about three or four years now. For the last three, four years, he's been a picking up dog. Um, he loves sweeping a field at the end of a, a drive and he does a lot of rough shooting. He goes out on rough shoots and, and he really enjoys that whole thing. So doing technical exercises hasn't really been his thing for a few for a few years. So um, I basically asked if I could steal him because I had booked several training days and opportunities that I wanted to, to go on with Rose and then got scuppered by her coming into season. So that's how it's happened. And um, yeah, it, it's been quite an enlightening experience over the last couple of weeks. I'm loving the fact that John's had to give up the dog. She's like, I'm going to train. It's going to be my time. <laughs> um, so Sue, with you, tell us a little bit about how Rich has ended up with your dog. Yeah, so I originally started off with our with our oldest dog Maud and she showed quite a lot of promise as she was a, a young dog and essentially what happened was she literally just 
became really disinterested in formal training in retrieving. She just completely went off the ball with that. And we, we don't quite, I mean, she had the phantom pregnancy and stuff, and we don't know, you know, whether it was a result of that or her um, prey drive just really kicked in. But it sort of felt at one time like me and her just weren't gelling at all when we were out together. She's a very headstrong dog, but she's also, she can be quite nervous as well. And I think once our relationship, or I felt our relationship wasn't quite working, I think my anxiousness and worry probably played into her nervousness as well. Whereas Rich is quite a calm, calming influence. And I noticed when she was with him, it was almost like she just went, okay, right, you've got this. I can just chill out now. And I'd got, um, we'd got another young dog at the time. So I took over, I was sort of bringing him through as well. So I just said to Rich, look, why don't you take Morden and almost like have a, have a reset and see if it, see how she gets on with you. And so he, he built quite a nice bond with her and she, she's just great with him. You know, she likes, I think that the firmness when she needs it, when she's been headstrong, but I think she also quite feels, she feels quite secure and you know in in his company so it seems to work better like that and I think that's the case isn't it like not a dog chooses a, a preferential person but when you've got more than one person living with a dog the dog tends to, to settle normally with one more than the rest of the group do you think that where you both sort of had had experiences with the dogs changed over. How, is it working for you? Well, I was just going to say, you just touched on something there. Indy was supposed to be John's dog. When we bought Indy, she was supposed to be John's dog, but they didn't gel. So it's a little bit similar oh. to what Sue was just saying. And um, it became very clear, very, very, very quickly, she would listen to me and not take instruction for John at all. And we got six months into it and she just became my dog, which was why we got dude when we did, because they just weren't getting that relate. Their relationship now is lovely, but there was never going to be that training connection between them. She always looked to me. So John would ask her to do something and she'd look at me. <laughs> so I just thought I'd add that, Joe, because, you know, I think some dogs are just drawn maybe to, and I don't necessarily think, I think some dogs seem to prefer women and some prefer men, but I think sometimes it's more deeper than that. And it, it's almost like it's the um, aura. I think aura is the right word, right word that I'm looking for, the aura of that person, the suitability of that person. And I think that really shows in John and Dude's relationship. They're both so laid back like proper chilled about stuff and <laughs> Indy's quite serious and I don't think I'm a serious person at all but she's she loves to train she loves to train she loves to train and and then Rose my youngest she's like what are we doing what are we doing what are we doing whereas John and dude will both quite happily sit at home on the sofa and chill out and not worry about that sort of stuff so yeah <laughs> sorry don't carry on but I just thought that was worth mentioning because a lot of people don't realise that Indy was supposed to be John's dog, and it just didn't work out. It's really interesting what you say, because Jess, who is 
um, Ella's mum, Jess was my dad's first and he couldn't do anything with her. He couldn't at all. And he literally said, take her, just take her. I can't do anything with her. And within, she came to live in my house and probably within a week or two, we were inseparable. She was just great for me. And he'd be like, it's amazing what you've got out of that dog. But she, I could see a lot of me in her, which is quite a weird thing to say. She's quite nervous. She just needed encouragement. She just needed quiet. She didn't need bolshy, over-the-top, strong behaviour from me. She just needed me to be patient around her. And I think she, we both connected on that. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think a dog can look around a family and go, well, I just actually like you. And if you think mm. about it, as people, we're the same that way. Yeah. I mean, our youngest one that I train, like Claire said, then if Rich gives him a command, he'll look at me and say, like, am I doing that? They look to see if I'm going to give him the same amount. Um, but I think as well, I was conscious with him as a young dog to really make sure we we really worked on that bond first and foremost. And there was a really nice bond and trust there. And we were friends. Um, and he's a lot, he's a much softer dog. So I don't, I very rarely get my gruff voice on, which People that know me know I've got a rubbish, gruff voice anyway, because I can't <laughs> I try and sound like really, you know, determined and it doesn't really work. Um, so he, you don't need to say much to him and he's and he's straight away going, oh, no, I've done something wrong. Whereas Maud's more of a, she needs a bit more of a firm voice for mm. her to take notice. You look in our group though, like when we talk on like our live coaching sessions, how many new women to our group have come along and said, Well, what it was, my partner or you know, my husband bought a dog and him and the dog are not getting on, and the dog's always with me, and now I've got to train the dog. And you know, it's like the dog's already chosen that, that they want to be with the wife or the girlfriend. Um, or the wife or the girlfriend were never into any of this to begin with. They've got together with somebody who was really into shooting, really into hunting, really into training. And they've gone, here's a dog for you, wifey, for you to train. And in both times, they might end up training a dog. They didn't really know they were training in the first place. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. I've actually got a few lady panther clients that train with me. They don't work the dogs, but they do the training. The husband takes the dog shooting, but they do the training. So they come to me, they do the training, and they put all this work in, and then the it's the husband or the other half or whatever that actually takes the dog shooting. And I'm like, how does that work? And they're like, literally, well, the the the, the basically the other half says, well, the dog doesn't do this for me, and they're like, well, that's because I'm doing the training. The dog is bonding with me through training and learning this skill set with me, and then. They take them out and don't necessarily know all the formal commands or say different commands, which I think we'll probably talk about in a minute, won't we? Um, <laughs> but then the dog comes to class and she says, oh, he says that the dog needs this. So then we set this exercise and the dog absolutely narrows it. And I'm like, I don't think it's the dog that's the problem. <laughs> you touched on there as well, the fact that People, without doubt, even if you train in a similar way, you have different styles of training. And 
for people when you're sharing a dog, sharing one dog or swapping dogs or using each other's dogs in different um, like environments, there is a navigation problem, isn't there? Yeah, there is. So for me, when I started doing stuff with you, so it's not like I've never, never done anything with dude, but I will hand on heart probably say I probably actually do something one on one with him once or twice a month, which is nothing like it's nothing. Um, and it might be just I'll do a few retrieves because John's not here on that day. John might be off doing something. So I, I take care of the dogs that day. Um, but what has been quite interesting is. John and I, although we use the same pitch of whistle and we use the same verbal commands, we don't blow our whistles the same. We figured that out very quickly. Um, our tones of voice in training is very, very different. So I've had to spend the last couple of weeks because I took dude sugar beet training this morning and that was the first thing that I wanted to achieve with him. And he was such a good boy. But anyway, that's another thing. But he was such a good boy. Um, but the last two weeks have been me learning to read him and him understand my tone of voice when he's getting it right, my tone of voice when something's not going right. John telling me, no, 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 my stop whistle is longer than yours. You need to hold it longer than that. And things like this, like just silly little nuances. Whereas my the girls, when they train with me, you know, four or five days a week, they know all of my nuances and they know my little quirks or my change of pitch of voice. Whereas do, do, I think do thinks I'm quite funny. Like <laughs> he's responded really well, but he's very, he's working for me very differently to how he works with John. With John, you work him on dummies and stuff like that. He's really proper chilled and like not that. He's, he's a working dog. He's like, really? We're doing canvas today. Okay. All right. We'll do canvas. And, and there's a little bit of a joke that he does it in due time sort of thing, you know. And But with me, I think because I'm a bit more high-pitched and a bit more, yay, like this, his ears are like up and he's like, woman, you're like crazy over this stuff. Why do you love this canvas so much? But it's brought a little bit of spark into him. And I've really actually enjoyed it. And he today, it should have been, he looked like he was giving me a cheesy grin the whole time. He was like tongue hanging out of the side I'm not going to do it because it's a podcast and I'm not going to do it just for you two but like the tongue hanging out the side of his mouth and his head cocked like oh this is great mum like <laughs> but it is it's those nuances those different tones of voices the the whistle pitch might be the same and the you know and all of that but how you blow it is differently so it's just so much to think about your body language you know it's yeah, weird I I find that as well actually if we're out together um we use the same whistle pitch and their dogs know the difference between the two of us because Maud will stop dead on Richard's stop whistle but if I blow a stop whistle she'll poodle until I do a hand signal she'll see the hand signal and she'll stop but she won't stop on the whistle because I obviously blow it completely differently but what is it what they get used to we I reckon it's stops them yeah, we go, probably. We go sometimes to the dogs, maybe we're in the garden, and Matt will be throwing a dummy or tennis ball, like messing around with them. And they love it. They think he's great because he's not at all serious. He's not in training mode. He just plays with them. And uh, I will get up to maybe like just go get a cup of tea. 
and they'll stop and they'll turn and they'll walk with me and he's like, come back here, you do, you're taking a mess. She doesn't do fun things with you. And I, I sort of laugh, but it, it is that almost thing, isn't it? It's like, we go with mom. Now when mom moves, we move. And like, it must be very difficult for people who are picking up somebody else's dog to get to a point where that dog sees them as not an equal, but as, as respectful for both. I think knowing what motivates that dog is really important if you're going to work with somebody else's dog. Dude's really easy. He's super food motivated, like really food motivated. He'll do anything for food. The girls are not that way. Indy's tennis ball mad, so she'll work for that. Um, or it's work ethic with her, like, you know, if she's picking up or training. Um, and Rose, Rose just loves interaction. So Rose is very much... I think it's because of the way I've trained her. She's not massively into toys, balls or food. She'll do any of them, but they're not her thing. Her thing is my voice, my tone of voice and my interaction with her. Like, this is quite bad. But when I'm trying to sometimes do serious training with her, she'll like, if she thinks I'm being too serious, she'll stand up and wag her tail and stare at me as if to go, Oi, why are you being so serious like this? And I'm like, sit down. <laughs> But she, she's got this like quirkiness about her, you know, she, she just wants the training to be fun. So it's like some dogs take training some ser so seriously, but other dogs, training is all about fun. And for her, it is all about fun. She has an amazing work ethic and she won't give up on a job, like on the shoot days, you know, she'll find them birds. But in training, she's got, it has to be humorous for her. And if you're not providing humor, she'll look at you as if to go, where's the humor where's the fun this is boring you're being very dull you know <laughs> which works for me <laughs> so a question for you both how do you handle disagreements um when you have different philosophies to the other half when it comes to training the dog <laughs> we don't train together anymore <laughs> pretty much so that's that dealt with <laughs> yeah I think it, it it's quite hard I think sometimes because you've got something in mind of what you want to do and um you know I think well at least we don't train together we we do if one of us needs a dummy thrower or something or you know something like that but I mean we don't tend to mix the dogs up and handle the dogs now we just leave the dogs seem happy with you know the both of us handling them separately so that's what we tend to do now it's just easier I think for us mm. and what about you Claire hmm thinking about this John's in the next room so answer carefully Claire uh no <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> no um genuine so John and I genuinely I think people think that because we work together we do everything together and we really really don't and I actually have to ask John if I want him to train with me. Like, if I want him to help me out throwing dummies or firing shot, I have to, like, literally, like, almost, like, put it in the diary that he's helping me train. Because, you know, jo John loves training dogs, but he's not he's not obsessed by, by training his own dog like I am my own dogs. Like, he really loves training people and their dogs. That's his thing. Like, And he likes having a hobby with his dog. But I think I 
I don't know. John has other hobbies. I think this is where I'm going with this. John has other hobbies, like he plays the piano, he plays guitar. Training my dogs is my hobby. So John has three hobbies. He has training his dog, is that one little hobby, and his guitar and his piano, whereas my hobby is training my dogs. And then for both of us, work is training other people's dogs. So I have to like really ask him to do it. And we've had to have sometimes conversations about how he tells me if he thinks I'm doing something that I shouldn't, because I can take constructive criticism very well and I really appreciate it. But when I listen to John coach his clients, he's so soft and so like, um, like he really wants like them to really have the best, you know, experience, which of course I do as well. But when he tells me, he just goes, why did you do that? Like he would never say that to a client. <laughs> so we've had to have a conversation and be like, okay, so when I do something, can you just treat me like a client and be like, okay, you know that thing you did, have you thought about trying to do it this way instead, instead of just going, why did you do that? Because I'm like, <laughs> why did I do that? You know, so we've had to learn how to do that. And the, when that really clicked, was when Rose was a puppy, um, John was teaching a class that I participated in with Rose. So I was in with other clients. So I think that's when it really started to like blossom because he was teaching me just like the other clients instead of just being one-on-one and going, why did you do that? (laughs) (laughs) But he hates filming anything for me. Like if I say, oh, can you video this for me? I'm doing a masterclass for Joe. Could you film this? He'll be like, can you use your stand? I'm like, okay, I'll use my stand. <laughs> I think we're going now into the realm as well, though. It's, it's the like when you're sharing a dog or you have multiple dogs that you work between, and um, we're going out to the point where it's like it's, it's, it's even just communication between the two of you, and then never mind you yeah. and the dog. It's not like, yeah. how are you working, dude's dogs? Like, how are you working, dude's dog, uh, dude? And how is how does Mr. D feel about you working his dog? And you know, all those different things, it becomes like this big, not not a mess, but there's lots of things to be thinking about all at the same time. What advice do you think? you would give both of you to people who are facing difficulties either where they've like got their partner's dog or their partner keeps pinching their dog like what what advice would you give them about dealing with the sort of conversational difficulties you mean conversation between you and your partner or yeah like how do you how what advice would you give our listeners to like you know because it's it could be quite easy wouldn't it to be like no, not cause an argument, but it's very difficult when you've got one way of doing something and somebody's got another way of doing it to find this middle ground. It's almost yeah. like, um, like Meg says to me, she'll, she'll kill me for saying this now uh, on the podcast, but she's had this little pup. And in the mornings now, I get up with him and she's like, the other day she said to me, it was so cute, but it was so wrong. She was like, mother, we co-parent this pup. And I was like, no, we don't. <laughs> Go bearing this pup. You're meant to be doing it. I'm just good enough to look after her in the morning. And I think it's a bit like that when you're like cheering a dog. You're, you're, you're co-parenting this dog. And how do you um how do you find how you're gonna do it together? Does that make sense? Tell you what I did, and I'll tell you what I noticed that I did. Because really, we me and Mitch might have slightly different ways of doing things, but essentially we've got the same ethos of training. And you know, it's not it's not different ends of a scale. It's very similar. 
and when he was training and I was out and we just had one dog I realized that I was actually a bit nitpicky and a bit too critical and I, I had to learn to bite my tongue and and basically just not just let it go because he was getting the same result in fact it was a better result it was just doing things in a slightly different way to what I would do them but that doesn't matter so I I mean I think part of it is you know unless someone's doing something categorically that you disagree with or that's going to mess your training plan up just just let that person get on with it because you know all you're going to do is is change their mood the training session will just go to part and then no one you know no one wins in that scenario so and, and especially if someone's taking over that dog's training you've really got to learn to just go right that's i'm I, that's i'm not involved in that now that's for them to do i'm not going to comment i'm just going to let them you know roll with it unless they ask for you know any guidance but i would just say i that's what i did i, I was a bit like oh you're not doing that quite right and actually it didn't really matter that's that's really cool and actually see so you you really it's for me very similar so John and I have the same training ethos we use the same training methods we have the same exercises because we teach together when we teach classes so all of that is completely mirrored I've just had to accept that with my dog that I'm training perhaps I'm trying to get to let's say a working test standard of dog John was a shooting dog standard so that although the skill sets are the same, he might not be so bothered about the finesse of this heel position and heel turn for this retrieve, as long as the dog's getting the job done. So I think we've come to the, the thing together of we have the same ethos, the same methods, the same sort of handling and all of that kind of thing. But unless John asks me for help with something, I back off when he's training his dog. He's training my dog, that's different, which obviously at the moment I'm training his dog, so I need to be mindful of that sentence because that might come back to bite me <laughs> when he listens to this podcast. But um, <laughs> but equally, I if I'm struggling with something, I feel I can ask John to have a look and he now doesn't say to me anymore, why did you do that? He will now give me proper constructive feedback. But so those things are like super important. I think you need to kind of have those conversations. If you're sharing a dog, you need to have those conversations. So there's a gr an agreement on how you work together with the dog. But equally, what I will say, dogs can massively adapt to each person. And that's what I've learned over the last two weeks with Dude. Like he was working like a dog who I would have trained for a working test in Sugar Week today. We were doing heel turns. He was lining on blinds. He was taking all instruction and listening to me. Whereas if John was working him in that environment, he might be sweeping the field. But dude's ver it's like dude has literally gone, all right, so when I train with her, this is what she wants from me. And he's picked that up so quickly. And I think dogs are much more adaptable to that. And I think they also learn not just in training but in behavior they learn what buttons they can push with what people and they will do that and i think so dogs are more adaptable than we give them credit for it's just us understanding 
the needs of that dog, the motivation of that dog, how to get the best out of that dog and how to not step on each other's toes if you are sharing a dog. It must be incredibly hard. Like we're talking about situations where there's multiple dogs. So you, yeah. um, there's not a sort of need to, to work just one dog. But where uh, people are, you know, there's two people working one dog, that must be far more difficult because you both have a view on how that dog should be trained. And I think the other thing we see in our group, without a doubt, is one person pretty much every single time has more experience around dogs and working dogs than the other person so the person who doesn't have that experience is struggling to to train the dog in front of them but also cope with being told they, that they're doing it wrong or that they need to do it this way it's very very difficult to find your own style and link with the dog then isn't it it is and, and can be although I have got clients where that is the situation and virtually now, though, like I said to you about the ladies that do the training, but the man that takes the dog shooting, I, I will sometimes say if it's the lady, because it could be the man that's bringing the dog training and the other way around, but just with the clients I'm thinking of, it's not. Um, but I will actually say, why don't you invite them to come and watch the training so they can see what you're doing and what we're trying to achieve. And sometimes that can be useful if they just come and watch and observe and understand what's going on. Or if they train the dogs on separate days, that can be useful. Like I said, dogs are quite adaptable. So rather than it feel like a really stressful thing, maybe on a Saturday, that person takes the dog and does this with them. Um, maybe on a Sunday, they enjoy a family walk together where there's no stress of that training. And maybe another day, the other person goes out and does this with the dog because that's what they want to do. There, there are ways around it, but ultimately that was why we ended up getting Dude because Indy was very much my dog, but it wasn't that we couldn't share. It was that she wasn't responding to John. And I think that's where it becomes really difficult if that dog does decide this is my person, then it is more of a battle, I think, for the handler as well, even more so sometimes than when it's, you know, the two people. It'll be really interesting if after Rose has had a pup since she's ready to go back out, if dude refuses to go back. <laughs> no, I know. Well, I'll tell you what happened when I got back from Sugar Beet. We, we got, sadly, there was a massive accident on the motorway and it took us three hours to get home, which it wasn't meant to do. And uh, when we got home, he had this massive smile on his face and he come in and we fed him. And then he curled up on John's lap, not mine. But then he looked at me as if to say, like that sorry no one else can see that <laughs> he looked at me as if to go thanks but then curled up on his dad's lap. and I wondered if it was like he didn't want his dad to feel left out you know? <laughs> but he was obviously came home a very content happy dog but then was happy to snuggle up you know with his dad but yeah I think it will be interesting to see how it plays out because I've got a few things booked with him over the next few weeks and obviously Rose is going to potentially hopefully be out of action in a good way um you know for, for most of the shoot season actually so and the plan is that I am going to work him this season because John's actually going to be uh, um shooting this year but I do wonder if he might get confused if John's there with a gun and he might end up being sent by me and taking the bird back to John. <laughs> Things like this are playing in my mind. Will he? Because he has a history of 
nine years working for John on a shoot. Okay, so going to this training day for me was this like special thing. But on the shoot, he might just navigate back to John. I won't know till I try. So it'll be really interesting to see how it plays out over the next few months. You'll have to keep us updated in the in the Facebook groups of, of what happens, you know, the what whether he decides he's quite happy like just being with you, or if it's a case of while you're away from John, he's fine, but then when you're back yeah. with John, he's a bit like, Well, I'm going there now, sort of like Absolutely. The, the sofa thing. Um Sue, for you, do you ever train uh with Rich, both of you together, like on training days or or places where that confusion could happen? We have done um on a couple of occasions. Um but it, generally really because I'm there with one dog and he's got um more, they tend to just stick with the relevant handler. There doesn't seem to be any confusion um there. But yeah, interestingly it's funny because if if Maud's feeling a little bit like, oh, I want to come and just, you know, snuggle next to someone, it'll be, it'll generally be me she comes and sits on. And I wonder if it's perhaps easier for dogs that are kenneled where you maybe swap handlers because then they're really just dealing with that person that they then get moved on to. They don't spend their free time with mm. both people. But, but no, when they're out, they, te they tend to be, you know, they know who they're with and they're, in that scenario, they're, you know, they're fine. But they also get, on. I think as well, they get like, because thinking about it, although Angus looks to me, generally, if anybody gives him a command, he'll look to me to say, am I doing that? When it's time for food and there's food involved, he'll do anything. Like, you know, <laughs> he'll, he'll go... He'll sit, you know, he'll he'll do all sorts of things, obedience-wise, to get that food reward at the end of it. Doesn't it's not didn't it, it doesn't have to be me doing that with him, he'll do that for anybody. So it's funny, isn't it, what their motivation is? Mm. When I have when I first had Rex, when I used to train with my uncle, Rex wouldn't even make eye contact with me. He was like, he was all my uncle. He would and I would try to throw dummies for him. And he'd just, he'd just ignore me. Like, I, it was literally like I wasn't alive. He just didn't see me. <laughs> and then when I had him, like, it wasn't long after, um, I took him back to my uncle. He didn't call me. And he came in and he was like, oh, like this. And he sort of looked at my uncle and then looked at me and he was like, I'm with you, kid. And I was just like, I'm nicer to him. <laughs> and it's not that I'm nicer to him. But I think it was because he'd lived in the kennel and trained and now mm. he's in the house he spent all his time so what was a short amount of time in in weeks was a lot of time in hours because mm. he was just constantly with me you know working from home I didn't go to his site he didn't go to mine so I think that it's very quick to form bonds with dogs you know and I'm sure if people listening and they're like okay I've just had a new uh, a new dog or I've had a rescue dog or a retired dog it doesn't take them long to restructure their commitments does it no it and I think but one of the things I always say to people if they're rehome if they're taking on a rehome you know whatever from whatever circumstance a retired dog whatever I always say 
just make sure from day one you're putting in the structure and the rules and the boundaries that you want for that dog. Don't bring it in and mollycoddle it and then six weeks later try and structure the dog. Bring it in and and give it that structure. But again, depending on the dog's background, they might need more time to adjust and just become familiar with the surroundings um, and that sort of thing. But I think it's just really important to make everything as you want it to be as quickly as you can. Don't like bring the dog in and let it on the bed for six weeks and then go, well, you've settled in now, mate. So now you've got to sleep downstairs. Like that's just super confusing for the dog. So I think when you are kind of taking on a dog, whether you're rehoming it from whatever situation, make sure that as well as giving the dog the time to adjust um, and working on bonding with the dog, you are putting those rules and structures and leadership in place that are super important for getting what you need out of that dog as well. Fantastic. Well, I think this has been an insightful and amusing podcast. Um, I've loved uh, talking to you guys about this and I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. To those listening, we hope you've enjoyed it too. Please, please, please send us your feedback, your comments. Every single podcast, near enough, there's one or two that don't have blogs, but most of them have a blog that is our, our free content on the website. So you can pop some comments in there. You can send them to us on Facebook. And um, there's loads of places where you can share your thoughts on it. We'd love to know about you stealing your other half's dog or them stealing yours. That would be absolutely fabulous. Make sure to subscribe, make sure to review, and we shall speak to you all next week. That's a wrap on today's episode of Found It, Fetched It. Thanks for listening. If you found our conversation valuable, please could you do us a favour and subscribe and leave a review so other people just like me and you can find the podcast. For the ladies out there who are passionate about gun dog training and want more tips, live sessions and a community that gets it, you're welcome to join our membership. Just visit www.thelwdg.com to learn more. Until next time, keep working with your gun dog and take care.